Oh, that's a great reverse pass to pick out Parker. And Parker tries to squeeze one in, and he scored! Well, while everyone was waiting for the cross, including Nicky Hammond, Parker fired the ball in from outside the penalty area. He doesn't score many goals, but that one could be crucial, and it could send Manchester United into the fifth round of the FA Cup. Hello and welcome to another episode of the United Podcast. I'm Sam Homewood and with me is... David May. And he sounds excited. We don't have Helen Evans today. We are currently on a terrible run of form where it has been very difficult to get all three of us in the same room at the same time. She is... Is she in Belfast? She's in Belfast. Right, okay. Because it's half term, I think. Half term. I don't really... So she's got the kids on. Yeah, so they've gone gone back to Belfast. So it's you and me here. Uh, uh, I promise one day we will all be on a podcast together again soon. But it's um, Dion Dublin, I guess, would have been the last one. Uh, Yes, it would have been. Good though, wasn't it? Very good. Um, And we will miss you, Helen, if you're listening. And uh, I imagine, so will Paul Parker. I imagine he would enjoy seeing Helen today. Yeah, good lad, Parks. Um, Spent a couple of years with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Theatre of Dreams never stops talking. Do you like having uh, your former teammates yes. with us or do you worry that they're going to tell us a story about you? No, no, no. Well, there's nothing to say really, is there? There's a lot of things to say. There's a lot of Christmas parties and things that you don't elaborate on. No. Well, we don't need to. But um, <laughs> no, Parks is, uh, is a great lad. He is. So, so, so likeable. And um, whenever we see each other, we give each other a big hug. And uh, yeah, a lot of love in, in the relationship between me and Parks. I do like him. Well, it's very nice. Can I have a, do I can I get a hug next time I see you? That'd be nice. You uh, if you hug. change your gear, then possibly. Other than that, no. I was confident you'd like this. Sammy's jumper. wearing the most ridiculous, ridiculous gear this morning. Presumably it's only the jumper. Everything else you think is fine. I'm just wearing jeans and I'm not sure about your glory gainers either. But um <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure Parks will pick up on it. I'm sure he will pick up on it. I'll be honest, when I wore this, I thought, Maze is going to like this jumper. What did you actually think? I thought, Maze is going to like this jumper. Genuinely, that went in my head Seriously? this morning. I thought, Maze is going to like this jumper. But I thought you'd have something to say about hey, it. Hey, look, we're talking about podcasts and the main thing is we're talking about your jumper. So. Yeah, that no one can see. Yeah. Uh, right, but if people will see it because it is on It has been recorded. TV. Yeah. Uh, for people who might be unaware... Paul Parker played over 130 times for Man United. He won the Charity Shield, the League Cup, the FA Cup, and two Premier League titles. Obviously, a part of Italia 90 as well when he yep. was playing for England. So he's had this incredible career, but also, I suppose, to some extent or another, maybe his timing at United wasn't perfect because he he was he came in and then a few years later Gary Neville emerged. Yeah, through injury as well. Uh, I remember Parks being injured and uh, struggling with his with his ankle. So. It was it was always in and out. Even even I played right back a few times just to cover parks. But um, yeah, listen, somebody's war with somebody's enjoyment. That's how so, it goes, isn't it? I suppose in football. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. And Gaz came in, and once Gaz came in, he set his stall out a right back. It was very difficult for the manager to take him out. It'd be interesting to see what he says. More interesting just to catch up with him because he is a top lad. Oh, actually, do it. Here's Paul Parker. Paul Parker, welcome to the United Podcast. Thank you very much, Sam. I think we should address the elephant in the room. Maisie and I, I think, are underdressed for this occasion. I think we've let the team I down. I would say that you're underdressed, Sam. You look a bit like a skateboard kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Parks is but smart. He looks really smart. And you, you're Parks has always been a bit of a, you know, 
dapper dresser. Yeah, you look yeah, incredibly good, smart, yeah. and we appreciate it. And I feel like we haven't we haven't met your sartorial standards. No, that's fine. I'm used to Maisie. Maisie's always worn gear like that. Mm-hmm. He hasn't changed. He won't yeah. change. And Sam's gear. What do you think of that part? <laughs> how would you How would you describe that in our dressing room? Um, I would have thought it'd be a twelve year old kid wearing stuff like that. <laughs> Pretty much like the Gary Pallister era of that, gear. That, that is a bit like Pallister goes. Yeah. It's amazing how they're both similar in stature as well. Yeah. Tall, lanky people with no dress sense. Right, well. That's you. Anyway, I'm, I'm glad I mentioned that we were underdressed. I've been absolutely destroyed. Uh, how are you, Paul? I'm good, thank you very much. And how's life for you at the minute? Not bad, not bad at all. Watching a lot of football. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's always good to watch football, of course, but to actually still go to live games and enjoy them Mm -hmm. and actually work at them, talk about them, go home with supporters and talk about it again, then close your front door and it's dead and buried. Fantastic. And is it for you, I guess, just a real joy to be there? Because you're still working the game, you're doing lots of media, people, we see you all the time and you're on various different outlets and I suppose that's a lovely way for a former professional to enjoy retirement. Um... I would say, I mean, I find it, I do enjoy it. I've tried management and non-league. I still love non-league football. Love still being around it. When there's no um, games out there, I'll go and watch a non-league game at a weekend. And like I said before, I tried management and I, I found one of the biggest problems with being a manager, it ruins your weekend. You know, it just ruins it. You win a game and you start panicking. Can you make things better? And you're trying to, can you get someone out to get someone in? You lose a game and you want to get rid of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's not enjoyable. And then the worst thing I've found, which I always say to people when they say, why am I not involved? Why don't I give it a go? I always say is that I didn't enjoy footballers not liking me on that management side. I enjoy the assistant manager being assistant because you can make excuses for the boss and if they want to call him a name, you can got a choice to agree with him or not. But I just felt more of a pacifier mm-hmm. in that way. I enjoyed that bit. And I think that come from really my first real assistant manager I'm, I kind of related to in football was Brian Kidd. You know, and when I talk to people about being at Manchester United, Kiddo was absolutely fantastic as assistant manager. Just the way he was with us as players and, the warnings he would give us about yeah. like the boss was wasn't in wasn't in the best of form. Um, he, if he if you decided if he knew you were somewhere, he might have said you might have been somewhere else, and you had to follow the the line he'd given you. And you knew that if Kiddo had told you a line, you stick to that line. You wouldn't cross him. But yeah, I, I enjoyed that side being a manager. I didn't I didn't find it fun. Didn't find it enjoyable. Maybe it was too early for me when I done it because I still hadn't got out of my head that I'd stop playing. Could you see that in Parks when you shared a dressing room together? Was he someone you looked at and thought? You know, Did I? Um, yeah. No, not really. Do you know what? It's, it's difficult when you look at ex players and you think, you know, Bruce. Bruce, you would certainly say going to management. Sparky certainly not. Probably I'd put Parks in that in between. I always thought you he'd go into something but maybe not media but I think it's as Park says like you know you come out of football and I th- I find I found it really difficult to get into something to fill that void obviously Parks has gone into management as well did you um, did you do all the coaching as well with that Parks or did you just was you just a manager that was it I got involved in the coaching I couldn't see you being a coach no, I, like I got that. involved in the coaching I'd done my coaching licence but I didn't enjoy it I didn't enjoy what it. What did you enjoy about it? Um, just what everything that went with it. I just found myself, I didn't 
I'm one of those people, someone comes up to me and they, t- and they turn around and say to me, oh, not really enjoying it. My words wouldn't be straight away because I can be quite cynical is don't do it. And I'm not being nasty. I'm no. saying to them, don't do it because if if you're not enjoying it, that means then that you're not doing your job properly and you're going to let someone down. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I come out of it because I wasn't enjoying being a manager. I didn't want to go out every single day and watch games of football. They say you have to do that. You have to watch games, especially at non-league level where I think you have to work seriously, seriously hard because Mm. of the turnover players. I didn't want to go all the way out there just to chat to somebody. I just couldn't do it. So, um, no, um, I was trying to be, in a way, a manager. And I think now the game's changed now in that sense, especially at top level. But... um, yeah, you have to, that coaching side, you have to be involved. Did you have a bit of a ruthless streak in you as well in the dressing no, room? No, If, if you were no. going to beat 1-0, do you want air dry, air dry stuff? No, I, no. It, I think there's something, and that's the, that's the cutting edge of being a manager. Yeah. You are, people, about successful people, you sit, you meet up with somebody who's successful and then you look, you think, oh, you're, you're a great fella, you are. Have you been successful? The yeah, one, yeah, yeah. And that's the reason why, because they're ruthless. Mm. <clears throat> one of the things people say to me, Sir Alex Ferguson, what was he like? And I say, well, as you see him, yeah. and you see him that way, well, yeah. But I say to him, there's, a, there's an edge to him, but you, there's nothing, he doesn't put, there's no rule books anywhere. It's the fact of you learn a life skill and being around him, being around the people who work for him. So when I turned up at Manchester United, um, you just walk into the dressing room and you see our people and some you would go and say something or do something, you could see people's eyes widen. There was your warning not to do something. And it's just the way it is. And virtually, don't disrespect Manchester United. Don't disrespect your teammates. And you knew yourself. For God's you'd never disrespect Sir Alex Ferguson. I remember one of my first trips, I was doing something with you in one of the rooms, messing about, and you went, not here. Mm. And, I, and and that was probably within about two games, three games. We might have even been on pre-season. And you went, Mazer, you don't do that at this club. Mm. Because a Blackburn could get away with, you know, having a laugh and doing stuff like that. What were you doing? Just just messing about in the rooms and stuff, just trashing rooms a little bit. And <laughs> that was it. And I tried to do Parks' room and he went, Mazer, that doesn't happen here. And that was it. That was my one warning. And that was it. The manager led with a with an iron fist, and you knew exactly where you stood. And if you didn't keep in that line, you was you was out. And that was it. And you, Park, Parks won me pretty quickly. And you sit in that dressing room at the um, at the cliff, and Kiddo would come in, maybe just come in, and Kiddo'd walk in, and you want Kiddo to <clears throat> excuse me to walk straight in and sit down and just be one of the lads again. But sometimes Kiddo would walk in stick his head around the door and just give the curly finger like that and you'll sit there and you go, oh, like your head will go back. And you could just see, you know that everyone's looking at it because you've had the curly finger. That means the boss wants to see you. It could have been good, but it's always that worrying, you know, you're... That sinking yeah, yeah. feeling. Yeah. Yeah. What have yeah. I done? Because we didn't have heart monitors in that in those times. There'd been heart monitors on it. It could have been interesting, really. What it would have gone to, oh, knowing yeah. the fact you have to walk up those stairs to the boss's office, and then he'll close the door, and he'd be sitting back on his chair. And yeah, it, it was it was scary. Parks, you grew up in uh, Essex. What was mm. it like as uh, as a little whippersnapper down there? Um, yeah, I grew up. It, Essex was a, a nice tough, area. Um, <laughs> I'm going to come out and say yes. I mean, it was grew up in Raynham, 
Right. Um, that's the thing. We we come out of East London and we 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 went to Raynham because my mum wanted us to move away from all the community. She wanted us out of there, so she took us to Raynham, a um, predominantly white area. There wasn't many black families around. Um, I went to school. Had you come from a black area though? Yeah, we'd yeah. come. Yeah, we'd come out of Forest Gate, right? Okay. Big, big West Ham area, and right. still Forest Gate now is no different. Maybe even got even tougher from when we moved out from when I was about four. Right. Um, so I went to school in Hornchurch. Ironically, <laughs> my sister goes to school before me, senior school, because um, we went to one school in Raynham. And then when it comes to senior school, my sister goes to a school around the corner, which was in Raynham, which wasn't too bad. There was a, a mix of black people yeah. and that in there and Indi- Indian people. Um, but I go to a school in Hornchurch, which was just under the three mile barrier. That meant I didn't get a bus pass, which meant virtually I was jumping on the buses and then jumping off to nick the free ride to right. get closer to save the walk. And there I was the only black kid in the school for quite a while. So... I learned to run pretty quick when the school when the bell went to leave school, and we was right next to the um, Hornchurch Aerodrome where Douglas Barder used to fly in and out of. Um, anyone young, too young, to understand who Douglas Barder is, read a book, Encyclopedia, and find out about him. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only what the, the easiest way to get home safely was to go across the aerodrome. When you but, say safely, what do you mean? I just mean that. Um, people chasing me with Dr. Martin boots and short hair. Jesus. Yeah. So um, and it was difficult for them to run across there in the mud. And how old were you? Um, I'm gonna say I would have been about 11, 12. So I was quite quick. And to be honest, I used to do cross country for me district and me county as well. It's only when I become a professional footballer, I hated long runs. But I um, used to run across there to avoid them and it was just muddy and everything. So I avoided them. They didn't get hold of me to do whatever they might have talked about what they wanted to do with me. And I'd get home, then my mum would wallop hell out of me because my trousers yeah, were yeah. filthy. <laughs> and then after then try and dry them and then wear them the next day. And But I, when people say it to me and I, and I, and I talk about it as I am now, I always say that my upbringing made me. It made me what I am now. Some people say that ain't very good. I would say... Are these all school, school kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, but it just made me what I am. I just believe in that sense. I don't mean quick and a good runner. I just mean as a person, it just, it toughened me up because I just didn't, you know, I didn't back down to anything. I accepted when it was a crowd, I had to run, I had to get away, but it made me, it made me more able to accept things and how to deal with it. I mean, that is extraordinarily horrifying though to mm. hear like and we've we've heard all manner of stories yeah. but the, as an 11 year old that's that mm. was your life and I'm assuming from the story that was a regular occurrence it was quite a bit to be perfectly honest the thing about it though is that I went through quite a lot in school and it changed as it went on by the time I, then my brother's come in my, my um, middle brother comes in two three years later then my other brother comes in again and and I just think in certain ways I broke down barriers Mm. made it easier for my brothers and the main and the reason why I broke down barriers is because I was a sports person they suddenly saw that I could win things um, I think the only thing I never done for the school was rugby because the first rugby game I played for the school I couldn't deal with someone pulling my shirt so I've turned around swung back and punched them 
you know, and, and I couldn't deal with it. So in the end, I was banned from playing rugby, but I'd done everything. I even played basketball, would you believe? I was a right guard at the front. And because I could nick a ball and I was so good on a fast break, you know, I, got, I played for the districts and I played for me, played for me school team and my district side as well. For basketball, we had the second best um, basketball team for three years in, in the district. The main team was a team from Romford, but it's us and them in the district and for the County Cup as well, we used to play against each other. The only other time we had difficult times is when we went into East London and then you go into East London and you're dealing with schools around around Chinkford and around there, you know, Teddy Sheringham area. Um, there was a school called George Monarchs and um, used to play and you'd go in their gym and, and they had the old bars, you know, we called them monkey bars in those days. Kids used to hang off of them and watch the game from the side and you've why are you doing that for? But the reason why they'd done it, because the basketball courts were quite tight to the yeah. side. So there's a hang of it, making out they're watching a game. But you went, when you went there and played and you, and you went too close, you was taking a few hits. You was getting battered verbally. You was getting battered physically as well. But then these schools had these big black five foot ten plus kids playing from mm-hmm. and it was really tough you had a bias referee and it was like some of these stories you see on, in TV films and you had to fight against all the elements and especially coming from Essex they took you as posh living in Essex now Essex suddenly becomes East London because now on the news because anything that happens in Essex they call it East London because someone's been stabbed or shot so, but in that time, it was deemed as posh. And I just lived just over the border mm-hmm. of East London in Essex. What was it What was it like when you would have those games against other schools in London? Because if you were at a school that w- where everybody else was white and suddenly you were playing against other children that you might have found that you, you saw yourself in more and mm-hmm. maybe you felt a bit more isolated at, at the other schools, did you, did you find... Uh, I don't know. Did you see something in those teams and think, oh, "I wish I was on. I wish I was here." No, no. You mean, you mean what you virtually? Was there any symmetry I found? And, and no, not at all. I was. That was my team. They were my teammates, and I took a lot of verbal stick as well from a lot of the teams when we played in London, because of they, just because of the way I talked. They just couldn't get me the way I talked, and and all of a sudden I'm. <laughs> it was me talking like Essex stroke East London. And there's all these other lads who are still I'm playing against talking with West Indian accents. And I think, well, you were born here. That is my my attitude mm-hmm. as such. And so they found it difficult for me. I was being called names off of them, you know, because I, they saw me playing with like, my team was full of 10 other white faces and they, they found difficulty with me. But that, that was part and parcel of me growing up really, up until really the points of... Um, when I signed um, Apprentice with Fulham, mm-hmm. really, I was playing football and all, all around East London. Even sometimes when I'd go in, into, say, into North Essex, even then there wasn't many, there wasn't hardly any black people living in that part of Essex and North Essex. I mean, like Colchester, heading towards Harwich, going out to Haverhill, going out towards East, East Anglia, really. There wasn't hardly at all. It just wasn't, that's the way it was growing up at that time. If you brought up... Um, around the black really in the south and near to London, you would live in certain areas, but to go out outside of greater greater London, it was called then, it was very, very rare. Do you think, because when, we, I mean, we talk about that now and I mean, everybody in this room, I think is thinking, well, that sounds like a really tough life. But I suppose 
none of us have ever had that experience. No. But for you, was it, did, when you look back, do you think, do you know what, that was really tough? Or I suppose, was it just life? I'm going to say it was just life. I, I never, I'd ne- I'm not intending to pull it across as tough. I'm saying it was, I said it, it made me and it was, it was part of growing up. My two brothers and my sister, if they were- Are you the eldest, Parks? No, my sister's the eldest. She was a tough one. She, everyone was scared of my sister. You know, even now you meet people come up to me, you're Dee's brother, aren't you? I go, yeah. And you know, she's- She's got a reputation. Yeah, she was a tough girl. She, you know, she stood, you know, she stood very strong. She makes me feel like a giant. But you know, she was she was in the sense I'm of not. oh, fine. <laughs> cheers, ways. There's one of yours already. Um, but she just had something about her on the exterior. She was as tough as anything, yeah. you know. And it's about whether or not you want to delve in, you know. The, the bravest. Was your dad around at this time? Oh, my dad, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. So when you moved out of where you were living and you went to this so-called white area type yeah. thing. Was there any regret from them to do that? No, no. no. They still just... live, they still live in the same house. Right. The same house we come into the council house, which initially, which initially we we moved into. It was two bedroom for a family of six, mm-hmm. and now it's now it's a four bedroom house. It's been built on the side yeah. and everything, and um, we paid for it um, eleven and a half grand off the council at wow. that time. Um, but so they're still in that house. Many a time we've all said well, you've got to move out. You don't need the stairs. And all of a sudden, as you get older, you get stubborn. You know that area. Yeah. A lot of the people you knew before have gone. The majority have gone. But they're used to that area. A lot of people still yeah. know them. Mm. You know, who come around, they know exactly the house and everything. It's quite a prominent house that's where it sits. Um, but no, it's, um, it was, um, I'd say it was, it definitely made, made us all really live in there. I'm really, you know, quite proud of where I come from. Yeah. I'm very proud of where I went to school. So where did the love of football come? Um, school? I f- yeah, I would say. Did you play Sunday league as well? I played Saturday Sunday league. and that, yeah. yeah. But my dad, my dad's um, Jamaican. His whole concept of life and sport was West Indies cricket, yeah. Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier, and Bobby Charlton and George Best. That's my dad's sport. Um, Sundays was the worst day for us growing up, really, because my dad just wanted to have cricket on. <laughs> That's all it was. It, Sundays was a nightmare. I just feel like my whole Sundays were spent watching cricket and the West Indies were on every single Sunday. That's how I grew up. That's, that's my, me as a kid yeah, thinking yeah, yeah. It, it. It was it was hard work in that sense. We do, had you mean, a, do you mean just watching cricket? Just watching cricket, yeah. yeah. I couldn't like get cricket. it. Maisie does. Yeah, I do like cricket, yeah. Yeah, you played yeah, yeah. a little bit. Only for skill, that was it. Yeah, I didn't go into any level as... Like, I bet you if Maisie did, he'd be a really good cricket player. Because he's one of those people that you just do something and he, he's just good at it. It's just amazing how he is. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And he knows that. it as well. We're doing about 110 podcasts yeah. now and that's the first time everyone's said anything constructed of me. <laughs> yeah, but, but I'm, no, but I'm working it amazing. I'm just yeah, working no, it. No, 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 there's something coming. Did you ever think at times that Obviously, you're not the tallest of people. Did oh, thanks for that. There you are. I'll just say something nice about it. And you want to come back in and no, fr- no, no, throw no, in no. a bit of heightism into but it. Did that ever become an issue with you? Is, it, is your dad tall? Or is my he... dad. My dad's over six foot. I went to my uncle's funeral. Uncle's funeral up in Nottingham. So I had to take my mum and dad up. And one of my dad's brothers, one of his surviving brothers, had come across for his, because it's my dad's sister's husband, had come across from Jamaica for his for the funeral. And 
he was six foot seven. So my dad's family. Where are you from? Uh, no, Where I, I are think my mum's four foot eleven, mate. <laughs> <laughs> just just because this is a podcast, lots of people are listening. How tall are you, Paul? I'm five foot seven. There you go. Five foot seven. That's what I am. I should have been, in theory, I, when you bring that up about it, um, I was at Fulham and just before I signed Apprentice, because my youth team manager when I was at Fulham was Terry Mancini. Yeah. So he was, so when all my mates, there was about, for my Sunday side, we had one of the best Sunday sides in East London and Essex. We hardly lost any games. Mm. And there was, and three of us from that side all went as apprentices to Fulham. But what, during that last year, that last year before I went apprentice and everything, um, all the ones who I kind of got used to and known were kind of involved with the youth team, the under 16s yeah, yeah. and that. I couldn't get a game. Terry Mancini wouldn't play me. He thought I wasn't big enough. He thought I was going to get hurt. So in the end, he forced the manager, Malcolm McDonald at the time of Fulham, to send me, no, sorry, Bobby Campbell was the manager at the time, to send me for a scan, to a bone scan to see how tall I was going to be. So I got sent to um, Westminster Hospital on the embankment and they had to measure, do a bone test. And um, I should have sued them really because they said I was going to be five foot eight. <laughs> <laughs> So on the back of saying that, I should thank him. So what, all. Would you have been, what would you have been when you went for the test? Oh, I could have been. I could oh, have five, been. A, five foot two and the man, he's going to shoot up here. <laughs> yeah, five foot seven. Yeah. Whatever it was. I mean, I didn't give him any money or anything. I had nothing to give him, but they'd done well for me. Because I think if they'd have said five foot seven, it might have really <laughs> blown it up for me. But they did that. But, but by the time I was 17, you know, in April, I, I, um, I'd, I'd already made my debut for Fulham. I got brought as a sub to man Mark Kerry Dixon because he was running he was running them ragged so they put me on just but Kerry Dixon's like six, six foot, foot one to, six, two? yeah yeah and then he would have been about what 11, 12 stone I would have been about seven and a half stone and that's because someone had put something in my pockets or something <laughs> <laughs> but as you said when you was obviously playing basketball you was that type of player that could nick things on obviously your height any crosses and stuff like that because you still had a great leap on you as well mm. but that little nicking people you know being on people's toes that's what I always remember from you being at United yeah I mean that's the thing about it yes I, I definitely didn't have the height so the thing about it though is that when I always you have to have another strength yeah. if I wasn't quick if I couldn't spring if I maybe didn't have maybe the the desire to go out and tackle tackle anyone with the ball then I'm it wouldn't have happened for me mm. but you know I you know so many times I hear that from people come out and you just come out and say it's better to have a be an average big and rather than a really good little yeah that was one of those sayings in that time yeah. you know and with all the other difficulties that was a come across a problem you could see people just look at it just look at me and go and all the same Bing Jim Smith signed me from Fulham and Jim Smith signed me and he said to me I'm going to play you in the middle because that's where I finished up playing for Fulham. Yeah, yeah. I played in the middle yeah. and I could kind of see the likes, you know, and like a Terry Fennick and an Adam McDonald kind of going, ooh. And I made, played my first game from West Ham away, my local team, all my mates in there just watching. A lot of them in there as well weren't my mates just by what they were saying to me. Mm -hmm. And after that game, I think, I've done you enough really over. to prove yeah. saying, yeah. But that game as well was a funny one because I was playing, I played as a man marker, I man marked Tony Cotty, who I grew up with Tony Cotty in the same area. Yeah. And I think I let him out of my pocket just the other day as it goes. Um, but I man marked him, but I ended up going and 
going the ball come across and I went to take a quick throw and it was up along the chicken run. As I go, I go and get the ball, I grabbed it, Parker this, Parker that. And I look round, it's one of my mates. He started, started talking to me. As I go to take the throw and I didn't realise he had his hand just the back of me, grabs hold of my jock strap, doesn't he? Oh my God. <laughs> Christ almighty, deflate like that. <laughs> Catch a breath, start again. It was it was one of them, because it was a chicken run, yeah. what, a yard and a half away from the touchline. So if you made a slide tackle and you was going across to that chicken run, you was going anywhere near it as an away supporter. Really, what you wanted, you wanted to throw an anchor out because you didn't want to go anywhere near it. It was scary, seriously scary playing at Upton Park. But for me, I went there as my debut for QPR. We won 3-0 as well. It was even better. Just We're on QPR, but just slightly because mm-hmm. we skipped ahead. How did you get scouted by Fulham? How was it that you ended up becoming a professional footballer? Because was that the ambition at the time? Were you working towards that? I weren't working towards anything. I was just going out and just playing. From I joined a um, joined a Cubs team uh, about seven, mm-hmm. but I was only the Cubs team played on a Saturday. But I mean, mum, mum and dad wouldn't initially let me play on the football on a Sunday because they wanted because we lived opposite a church. I had to go to Sunday school. On the, <laughs> I had to go to Sunday school. Keep it to yourself, okay? This is private. And um, so, I had to, so I was playing for first South Horn Church Cup School. I was up front. I was scoring goals galore. It was just down on the halfway line. Ball goes over the top, bang. I'd run onto it. And that was me scoring goals. Right wing, centre forward. So me, like me, still my oldest friend, my best friend. He play, we both play in the same team. And he said to me, there's a team called Pegasus. You play, you play at Horn Church, Upminster. Why don't you come and play for them? I went, oh, yeah, yeah. When do they play? We're going to play. I'm still happy playing for the Cubs. He goes, no, they play on Sundays. Oh. So it took about three months for him, him and his kind of dad to persuade me to play on Sunday and promise that every time I would jump in the car and they took me football, that I would read all the books and everything on my way to football. So I could, didn't have to go to Sunday school. Obviously they lied, <laughs> but I ended up playing for them. And what happened was I ended up joining them they decided that they wanted to put me back to right back because it was a different level. Mm-hmm. The problem was I pushed my mate out. He ended up in the B team. So I couldn't get a lift off of him anymore. So I had to make <laughs> my own way and jump on the buses and nick lifts off of people to try and make it. And then a team called Romford Juniors out of Dagnum. And at the time, Dagnum had the biggest national front following in Greater, Greater London. So I was then going, that's when I got introduced to Dagnum when I was about, what, 10, 11 years of age, having to go and play... F- then we were playing in East London leagues from Dagnum. And they then had a coach who, as a young kid, had an affiliation with Fulham. So he then said to me, come along, we're trained at a place in Dagnum. Come along and train. And <clears throat> there was a few players there who'd played. Um, so while I was there, and during that time, I was me and Dean Coney played together for the team called Romford Juniors. We ended up going to QPR, going to QPR together as well. There's a lad called Steve Tapley who become a pro, Prentice pro at Fulham. There was Jim Stannard who become a goalkeeper. One of the, you know, played about over 300 games for Fulham. And then there was who come along during that time as well was a young Ray Parler and Tony Adams. Tony's from Raynham as well, my town. Tony left because his uncle had an inner Arsenal. Um, Ray Parler, no different. And the other one was a goalkeeper, Gary Lewin, who become physio for Arsenal mm-hmm. and England as well. So there was a lot of players who come out, you know, come out of that area through through that road of um, Fulham. 
So by the time, as I said before, um, once they decided that my bones were going to go at five foot eight, I'd become an apprentice at Fulham. And you played 150 times for them. Mm. Did you enjoy your time at Fulham? Yeah, I really I love Fulham because I'd been there from the age of 11, 12. It was just that last, my last season mm-hmm. when it kind of fell out of bed. Um, we lost we lost a lot of players when Malcolm McDonald got the sack. We got relegated. I was captain at 21. Um, we lost main players. You know, we lost Tony Gale. We lost Ray Houghton, who played for us. We lost a lot of good players. Jerry Payton, Kevin Locke, who, who's a um, very experienced player. Then we were a team, um, there was regular, was 70 of the apprentices. And the other ones who weren't playing regularly, they were fighting for a place on the bench. So ended up a team of kids. We got re- finished the season. We got relegated the following season. Struggled to stay in there. And then... Jimmy all decided to come in as the saviour. I wasn't a fan of his, the way he went, what, the way, what he was saying. Then Fulham was talking about amalgamating with Queen's Park Rangers. Queen's Park, the deal broke in. Uh, Queen's Park Rangers wanted me and Dean Coney to go there to supplement the deal. I didn't really want to go in certain ways, but it was, in the end, I'm not going to say it's a great decision because I, did, I didn't really have a choice. No, nothing else was told to me about anyone else. Ended up spending a season getting my backside burnt to hell on that plastic. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably one of the worst pitches ever, wasn't it, for Ashton mm. Turf? So it was built on concrete. Yeah, oh, it was. It was tango balls as well. The yeah, it was ninety percent um, concrete, ten percent plastic. It was. I'd like so many times I would have put a big like a big enormous plasters over the burns on my knees on on my backside. And then you go out in the evening, go out after a game, and then you, by the time you come back, a lot of the stuff had come out of it, leaked out the side, your trousers were stuck oh, to you, you ruined trousers, you go to bed, you wake up, you go down, you go down to grab a cup of coffee and you're pulling a duvet down with you. It was just horrendous. I mean, I've got so many patches around now of the burns that I had from that, but that plastic pitch, I must say, really helped me get into the first division why is that because of it gave me a kind of um gave me a safety net because I knew then that anything that was gonna over my head if I couldn't get to it no one else would because the plastic would take it away Mm. anyone who tried to control it and it's played into them I knew that I would always generally let them have the first touch and then nick it off their toe and take it away because they struggled with their touch and then anybody who I was concerned about who was very good i.e. like Sparky and like Sparky anyway I wouldn't you don't fight Sparky no. you don't do it um, I would let them have their first touch but I know that if they were going to turn and try and run me that it wasn't going to happen in that way so it kind of built me in towards playing in the first division my next game I mean I played against um, Tony Cotty my next game my first game I remember at home I think was Everton and I was marking Graham Sharp Jim Smith said I got a man marked Graham Sharp and most people, if you said that to people now, they'll look at Graham Sharp, they go, but that's what he done. He said, because he just believed I could do it. And I did do it. Graham Sharp threatened me on the pitch. What did he say? He virtually said to me, if you win the next ball, I'm going to do you. And How old was you in Lamparks? I was. And how old did Graham Sharp Oh, Graham, I don't know. I was, when I went to QPR. Was it, would I he was, be like a senior pro type of thing? Or? I was 23 when I went to QPR. That was my first season. So Sharpie would have been, what, 27, 28? Yeah. 
Yeah, because they just it was like a couple of years after they won the Cup Winners' Cup That's and everything. Right, yeah. So you know he's at his prime. Yeah, and I did win the next one, but fortunately enough, is that Graham Sharp got taken off. <laughs> you know, I and during, during that season as well, Charlie Nicholas's last game for Arsenal was against me mm-hmm. as well. The plastic pitch seriously helped me get get an in, in, introduction into top level football because I jump. I previously I had two two seasons experience in the in the second division. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I spent most of my my career up to then in, in the old third division. So I was playing a kind of that route one football, as yeah. you know, Maisie. You know, yeah. knock it into the corners. I was chasing people. I was a fullback, you know, a bit of that as well. And yeah. it was a different kind of football. So I jumped straight into that level of football, playing with all these incredible players, and then playing up against some really, really then big, big names. Yeah, yeah. And then you can imagine then Queens Park Rangers, and all of a sudden I come here, and it was just something well, absolutely incredible. Parks, just to go back. From there, playing for QPR, you ended up getting a call up for England. Yeah, letter through the door. Mm. Yes. Was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. I it was. Then, yeah, it was. What was that like? I mean, that was. That Did you know was, any inclination about? No, it? no, not at all. Jim's. Who's the manager? Jim Smith was the manager, and Jim Smith. Must, no, of England. Of England was Bobby Robson. Bobby Robson yeah. Jim Smith must have known, but Jim Smith never said a word. Because I'm think I'm sure Bobby Robson, how polite he was, he would have said something. But it was a letter through the door. It was absolutely ridiculous how it worked. I mean, if it wasn't a letter through the door, and the other side of it was CFAX, wasn't it? You get inform- <laughs> yeah, information yeah. you'd find it out. Feels so you, mad. That's how things yeah, happened. You, you you found out on squad, so you'd be racing back for two p.m. sometimes to find mm-hmm. out if you'd made the squad. But that was something that you know. We still the t- got the letter. <laughs> no. No. It, it could it could be it could be somewhere at my mum's house somewhere because yeah. she's got a lot, of, a lot of my rubbish she keeps telling yeah. me just going to um, clarify for younger listeners that telephones did exist there's no reason people couldn't call you surely um, yeah that's true but then if you yeah, put the mobiles were like that weren't they what about a landline a landline for younger listeners is a telephone plugged into the wall why are you doing this? Give us a definition of CFAX. Uh, CFAX is something I... It's teletext, right? Yeah. So CFAX was... I don't, really, I don't know how CFAX worked. I just remember seeing it when I was really little and it was like writing on the telly, like the world's worst internet, perhaps. You could deem it like that, but you used to have your remote control with your TV and you'd have numbers on it. And what you'd do is you'd put in... You'd put in some... you put in a three-digit one mm-hmm. for the page for the football. 300. Was it 300? 300 and that'll give you all the pages of sport and you'll just see that England squad and you'll just go and you'd mostly push, you touch red, yellow, one of them, and you touch <laughs> that and that's how you get it. And that's how, and that's how you saw it. And it was, then all of a sudden then you'd want to speak to people. So your mum, your mum would have a lock on the dial on the phone. So you had to run the telephone box and throw two pences in. But if you wanted a long conversation, you throw in the 10 pence. Nice. Um, did you did you expect or were you thinking about England at that point? It was it was it were you looking at the squads thinking oh if I can I can get myself in? I wasn't that I wasn't that way to be perfectly honest. I just where I was playing mm-hmm. all of a sudden there was a te- just direct you know when I was at Fulham Fulham's it was what five six thousand maybe unless we played Chelsea and it would get a bit more and all of a sudden I was at Queens Park Rangers and you know we was, sometimes I was playing in front of twenty two in the really big games, average-wise, 11, 11 to 13,000, a really tight pitch, a great stadium to play in, more so when it was packed. And that never came into my mind. So when it did happen, it was something unbelievable. And then turning up for England, mm-hmm. and then you're 
seeing all these people you watched over the years because every time there was any live game on TV, everybody watched it because there wasn't many. Mm, So you didn't want to miss it because if you missed it, you couldn't mix with anyone else because you never knew what went on. (laughs) Yeah. You you know, that's how it was. So you just, all these people, you you didn't know them and you you were shy. You mostly come across as arrogant, but it wasn't because you were shy. You were, these were big names and, I was still, as far as I'm concerned, Paul Parker, the third division player. How did uh, how did your family react when they got that? When you got the letter, was it a big proud moment? And everyone was really excited. No, not really. We, we're not that kind of family in that way. It wasn't. It wasn't the case. You know, even when I signed pro or anything, it wasn't that way. It was just kind of everyone's quite laid back in mm-hmm. a way. My dad is a, it's a typical West Indian man in a way. Is nothing's a problem. Not not you know everything <laughs> the way he is. It's all it's all you know everything now. He's just got he's um just gone through prostate cancer and it wasn't a problem. I don't, you know, didn't want to go, didn't want even want to go and be, you know, to double check it and didn't even want to go to have his injections. Everything's easy going. My mum's exactly the same. And you, she says no once because if you push her too hard and she feels she's going to say no twice, then she might have taken a slipper off and hit you with it. <laughs> so, um, so is that way? It wasn't that mm-hmm. way. It wasn't like they're sitting around expecting it as I think it, how it is today, a little mm-hmm. bit like that. But it's one of those things now. It's like a kid going to universe, university, that it's a must do for the family. Mm-hmm. But then people were like, there wasn't no pressure on my fam, from my family to play football. They never, they never once took me football at all. I, I made my own way or otherwise I was very good at sponging lifts. I was a communicator. Did your dad ever come to a foot watcher? No. No? No. Your mum? They come to Fulham, yeah. At one point, but I was always on edge. I didn't want, I didn't right. want them to hear anything or anything oh, like right. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not because it would go a little bit Pete Tong or anything that way. I'd be more concerned about my mum, four foot eleven, pocket battleship. She'd want to fight the world if, yeah. if she could take a shoe off and start hitting people. But um, no, I didn't really want them around. I didn't, I didn't make the effort to invite them. Maybe mm-hmm. I should have done to make them feel that I wanted them to. But yeah, yeah. but both of them were. They were both working as well. Both yeah. of them were hard workers. My mum worked in, was a traffic warden. She was a nurse. When she come across from Jamaica, she had to work at Lions Tea Rooms. They paid paid her fare over as such, so she had to do that work. To, and that's how that started. My oh. dad was working in the foundry in Barking. That's mostly why his back is cream crackered and now he, he doesn't walk too well because his discs were all um, buggered up. So two very, very hard workers for four kids. Mm. Just to check on something you just said, when you said about you, you didn't want to hear what people were shouting at you, is that presumably because people were shouting things that were racist? Oh, 100%. And then, so did you feel like a sense of shame over that? Because if you didn't want your parents to hear? I'm going to answer that by saying, no, it's not sh- I just didn't want them being around that. Yeah. If, I, if I could avoid anything, if I can avoid something, I'll try and avoid it rather than talk about I, so my idea of it was I didn't want them to come into contact with that yeah because that would have just ruined a day of traveling from East London across to West London to watch their son go to his place of work and go yeah, and play used. football yeah. that's that's not fun for me there wasn't there wasn't there's the luxuries now for parents and fan, family and friends to come and sit in a lovely box go into a lovely lounge and be isolated away from from that it wasn't there then you mixed in everyone mixed in which in a way was great yeah. it made you one of them in that mm. sense Maze is no difference Maze when, where you grew up at Blackburn yeah. it was all everyone all in the same pot yeah. and it made everyone better in that way in my opinion as people um, friends family all at football and obviously teammates as well 
Do you think if you played now, would you encourage your parents to come, or do you think you'd be the same? Um, I would. I would pass, now. Parks wouldn't pay for a box. <laughs> no, he wouldn't give, give a door a bang. If, if I was, if I was on the wages now, then I, I suppose so. You got to spend. You got to spend some of that somewhere, haven't you? Um, yes, I, I would do. In the Premier League, I would do a hundred percent. In the lower divisions, <laughs> there isn't much change down there. In that sense, they don't talk about that. By the way, that's kept quiet. Premier League is all right because it's all privatized. Um, stewarding and everything mm -hmm. you drop down in the real football and then it's still you know Bob who drinks in the same working man's, man's club as the bloke in the crowd who's abusing someone because of the, the colour of their skin but it doesn't get a mention so if we want to keep hiding it fair enough but come here all day long in this division who's who do you look at and think who's uh, the responsibility is I think maybe the appropriate word, whose responsibility is, do you think to focus on that? Because everybody talks about the Premier League and it's always talked about the Premier League, but obviously you've played in the first division and the Premier League. And even when people talk about goal records and league records and titles, mm. the focus is the Premier League, regardless of what happened prior to 1992. Mm. Do you think that focus means people aren't looking at what happens below? Well, <clears throat> what it is more than anything, um, they've, it seems like they're trying to put that in the past and that was something bad I could name you some incredible great players who are a lot better than players of today who played in the first division. David could as well. And there's been some great players, there's been great players who made a crossover who don't get the mention, who get forgotten about. So whoever's pushing it is doing a good job in that sense. But until such time that all of us are all put to bed, it was, you know, then, then that's when it'll all be forgotten. But the, um, that, that era of football, was a great era. Everything about it was correct in the way it was run, the way it was dealt with, and the people who come out of it. There's some genuine people out there, and you meet them, and you see them around the ground. You see them walking, mostly walking around here. They're people from that era, and they're humble. They haven't forgotten where they come from. Yeah. Premier League takes a lot of real life away from people. Mm -hmm. When I played football, Dave, and you were exactly the same, the thing that we, we lived off, we wanted to play football, but the thing that we loved about it, which I think what football's about, it's about your, your personal ego. Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it takes honesty to me, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's about the adulation that goes with it. Yeah. And one of the things that affected me when I was here, my final season, after I went through my injuries, was the fact of what I really miss was playing regularly out there. Because I was around and I wasn't playing, it, it, it was cutting me up inside. Yeah. It, was, it was hurting me and I wasn't, I didn't think... On the outside, I was maybe sometimes a nice person because I was a little bit bitter about it because I'd had a taste of it yeah. and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was the greatest moment of my life, being in the side that every time you played, you was never gonna, you felt you was never going to get beat. And all of a sudden, someone goes, bang, and it's gone. And you, then you're watching it and you think, it's still going on. And I'm here. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting up here watching. Oh, great, they won. But... Yeah, and that bit inside was completely different. Mm. And the problem is, when it's in there on the inside, and as much as you thump it out on the outside, people know. Yeah, human nature. Let's talk about it. And big money. You came to Man United for two million pounds. Mm -hmm. Did that come of any pressure? Did you care about that? No, because <laughs> I come to Manchester United more than anything. Is I, everyone who come in for me predominantly was all, was London. Mm -hmm. How did you find out about United? Um, I was sitting with Terry Venables and Morris Watkins rang up. I was sitting in the Royal Lancaster Hotel and Morris Watkins rang up. Right. And I was sitting there and Terry Venables obviously knew who Morris Watkins was and just said, you've got to at least go and talk to him. You can't be rude. Yeah. 
and and I grew up around Terry Venables because Terry Venables is a is a Dagnum man, and I just just it was just something about playing. He was like a like a hero in London. Everyone knew him as a great player, more than anything as a great coach, mm-hmm. and he proved that. So Tottenham was a side that I grew up kind of supporting as a kid. I wouldn't say I was an adamant supporter. In that sense, I wasn't like bang. I was just Tottenham because of I think the way the way West Ham were. I couldn't go to. I couldn't support them after a couple of visits there as a supporter. Common sense said, "Don't go anymore." It was. It weren't nice. Mm. So I become Spurs in a way, and I thought that would do me. <clears throat> I brought a bar with me, mate, as well. We brought a wine bar in on Brentwood, Essex, and we we talked about what we we're going to do with me going to Spurs because we knew that they was interested, and then. Terry Venable said that on a Saturday. <clears throat> Must have been a late morning Saturday in the hotel. And by the late afternoon, I was sitting, I think it's behind there, isn't it? The offices are behind here, aren't they? I was sitting in the offices with um, the boss, Martin Edwards, Morris Watkins. I remember walking around his pitch with the boss. and he was. How did he try and sell you the place? It wasn't as if he was trying to sell it. Because as far as he was concerned, he's brought you here, you're going to sign. Have you played it before for QPR? Yeah, I've come here yeah, a few yeah. times, yeah. And what did you think? What, coming here? Yeah. Intimidating oh. or excited it was just, or it was just, just, big. just another game? It was just big, Dave. I just yeah. couldn't, you know, I just walked around. I saw it as a player. You see the change rooms. You look at the players. That's, yeah. That was a nervy yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. And you come out on the pitch. But then I walked around it. I made a fatal mistake in this corner. Yeah. Walking around, I cut inside the corner flag. And he said, what are you doing? And <laughs> the gaffer. Yeah. yeah. And I, I walked backwards and then I walked off the pitch and I walked around and we got on the, we went over there to the north, to the north. That's, that's the south stand, that that's, side. Yeah. Yeah. That's the south. This is the north. But honestly, I've walked, I've lost where I am. <laughs> I've lost where yeah. I am. Old Trafford. Right, okay, thanks for that, yeah. Um, so <laughs> come out of there, then we, so this stand here, there was all, all of a sudden these, like this, like, it's like there's loads of people just coming. They just sat in the block, just sat down. I just looked at him and he, and he just looked at I said, what are they doing? He goes, oh, they've come to watch the grass grow. And I kind of went, oh, but where have they come from? He goes, oh, they've been in a museum. Yeah. you got a museum? Yeah. I'm kind of thinking to myself, QPR, blimmin' hell. Museum? Where are they going to put that QPR if they if they achieve yeah. any, if they achieve any more? Where could they put a museum? Um, anyway, yeah. And I'm just w- walking around, and all of a sudden, this woman just just shouts out to me, "Are you going to sign, Paul?" <laughs> I'm clever than that, and I <laughs> no, I'm not. I said yeah before anything had been done. I just said yeah. That's how I was. Yeah, I just. It's, yeah, it sold yeah. itself. The boss knew exactly who how sat. To do it. Yeah, he yeah. knew everything about the amount of people sat in each block. He knew where the kind of famous faces, where they sit, where their season tickets mm-hmm. were, and it wasn't a sell sell. He just knew. And even when I when I walked out, um, I kind of went, "Are oh, we going to?" Kind of, he went, "So you're going to sign tomorrow?" And I was kind of going, "Yeah." And I turned around and said to my agent at the time and everything, "So what? We're going to stay up here?" And he kind of went. Well, what are you going to do? He goes, I don't know if I was going to go home. He goes, I think if if you go home, you're not going to want to come back up here again tomorrow, are you? And if you leave it another day, they're going to put they're going to pull out. Yeah. He said, there's no way this club will take you back because already Arsenal had done that. What, what part of the year was this? Was this, this would have been in July. Right. So. This would have been in July, and the team at the time were away on a pre-season trip. Yeah. And they'd gone on a they'd gone on a marathon 
because when I turned up after I signed, I met up with them in, where was we played? In, where was I? I'm trying to think where we were. Austria. Yeah. And we were playing against, um, Austria, was it Austria Vienna who mm -hmm. wore the purple? Was it Austria Vienna in the purple? There's Rapid Vienna. Yeah, it was Rapid, Austria. Yeah, Austria, was, Rapid Vienna, yeah. green and white, isn't it? Yeah, so he's playing. So that's my first kind of game pre-season. I think we got beat 3-4-0. But the players had told me they'd, they'd been, honestly, they'd played everywhere. Right. They'd been absolutely cream crackers. But that was pre-season. pre, that was pre yeah, yeah, yeah. It was about fitness. How do you remember walking in the dressing room then? Did you feel a little bit intimidated? Crap myself. Yeah? Yeah. Because of the people, it was, obviously Robbo was in there. Yeah. Brucey. Chalky. Chalky, yeah. Sparky. Sparky turned around and said... Are you are you here permanently, or you just come up here to try and mark me again? That was Sparky. You know, like Sparky, yeah. like he's so dry. dry. Yeah. He's just like you know, and sarcastic yeah. about things. Everyone else was fine. The, the toughest nut to crack when I was in that dressing room. Who are you going to say? Used to sit. So you used to used, the toughest nut. Nut it took for me to crack. He used to sit opposite me where I sat in the dressing room. So he would sit across there. Michael. No. No. Eric? No, no, Eric come after. This is when I signed. Ah, right, 90, okay. 91, 92. Think about someone. Let me give you a clue. He's a deep thinker. He's a deep... Well, the only deep thinker would have been... David May is now a deep thinker. Mm. Yeah. Go on. Do you want me to say Chucky? I was going to say Chucky, but you yeah. mentioned Chucky just a minute ago. Yeah, so Chucky. Yeah. It, Chucky was a tough one. It's just, I just couldn't, couldn't really get enough, you know, enough out of him. And it was it was bothering me. It was really bothering me because I was chatting with everybody, getting on because I think I'm quite easy going and doing all that. And I, and it took it took a good couple of months because he was weighing me up. I think he just saw this lady and straight away they just see me. They already had Incy already, who they saw as a loudmouth Cockney. And then they, all of a sudden another one turns up and they're thinking, "No, you up here? Are you serious, or are you just up here because you?" just want to try the town out and then just nip back as quick as possible every weekend back to London. And I think Chucky was in that way. He was did he, he didn't know what I was all about. And lucky enough, I got over that hurdle with him, really. And we ended up, before I left Manchester United, we were roommates. And he was making me a cup of coffee. Nicest fella in the world, Chucky. Yeah. Incredible man he is. Uh, that season, you got your first bit of silver over the club. Mm -hmm. What was it like winning the League Cup? The League Cup was great. I just... Really, I didn't really know what to do. Mm -hmm. The last time I won anything as such was when I was a when I was just well sixteen mm -hmm. before I um, signed as an apprentice with Fulham, and it was something fantastic to go and do that. But then it was that bit after when you knew <laughs> that wasn't enough. I think if you're talking any any other club, <clears throat> and I'm in a club. When I say that, I mean club. You know, with Liverpool most would have been something similar, but I just knew then when just by the way the boss was. Yeah, done that. Now we won a League Cup because the club hadn't won a League Cup before that. We thought, you know, we'd done that. Right, next day, bang, we're, we're back on it again. It, it was, it was, I just knew then it wasn't enough just by his whole manner. It, you know, he had, he's smiling, the pitch is on the pitch. Then as soon as he got in the dressing room, it was kind of like back on the train. And, then, and there we go again. So that was also the last season of the first division when... It probably felt like maybe you were going to win the league, and then it didn't happen. What was that like? That was um, it was a it was a it was a massive downer. It was for the club. Everything about the club. It was a massive downer. I think people 
everyone was thinking about Big Ron with the start. He had that 10 in a row. And, you know, I think everyone was on that negative mode about it. The boss certainly was. And one of the people, I st- now you mention that, I still always think about it. I always think about Big Norman when, in that season because that was his testimonial year. Mm-hmm. And he had Everton coming here. And the turnout for that wasn't very good as what you'd expect as it would be today yeah. you know you do a testimonial now when everyone turns up you know everyone would just come not at that time it, it wasn't it could have been a lot here it was 42,000 then the stadium so I don't know but it wasn't a good turnout which is a shame really because that's when footballers needed a testimonial yeah. and such really needed it now if they could know a lot of them in this division can virtually give it all to charity and it you know doesn't make a difference but it was just a shame on Norman that that happened that season because someone like Norman I believe you know it, it was he would he deserved yeah. it in that time if we'd won the league he would have been as happy as anybody Manchester United winning the game of winning a title yes he most would have felt it inside that he would wished he had done it and a lot of fans would say Norman deserved to be in, in the title winning team the same as Robbo but not doing it and for him for that year was it was a tough one. Was there some of the gaffer said after that end of, end of that season or the beginning of the next season? Obviously, you just lost it to Leeds, don't you? Yeah, we know. I think that's the bit of hurt as well was losing it to Leeds as I well. I wasn't going to mention their name. <laughs> yeah, and um, we played them. I think three times that year we hadn't got beaten by them. We played, we played them well, more than that. Played them four times because I think we, we we played them in the. League Cup and the FA Cup mm-hmm. as well in a short space of time with a league game as well. But um, yeah, we blew it. It was over that Easter period and the boss virtually said at the end of the season, put everyone on edge to know that, you know, they've got one, you know, they've got one calling left. You know, that was it for, for a lot of players. If it didn't materialise next season, that's how it was. Mm-hmm. But it was no different, Maisie, to when we won that first title. Yeah. He, t- he virtually turned around and virtually said, if, if all of you feel happy now winning that first title... He said, don't, don't enjoy it too much because I, it, it, I work off the ethos that you've got to win it again. Worse to that yeah. effect, he said. And that's how, And when you look at the players who have played here and you look at the medals they leave with, they've, you know, they left with, I should say, that's, they, they followed on from what the boss said. Everything was about that. You can't stay here and have a holiday because if the boss, sees, if the boss hasn't seen it, one of, one of your teammates would see it and they would know it and... And as much as you can have a great time in this city, they don't want people who are just who want who are trying to nick a living. They did wanted that, everyone the same. Did that resonate with you? Did you like that challenge? Oh, of course you did, because you wanted as much as possible. I'm still gutted now that that I didn't win enough. There was stuff that that was won while I was still here, but my injury and the fact of the emergence of Gary Neville stopped me having more than what I got. And I'm in the way I'm glad I feel that way that it still bothers me because mm-hmm. that tells me that. That I, as a footballer, I was, I was right. I mean, everything about me was right. I wasn't just content with what I got. Content getting the league because great, you can walk around with a medal. What mm-hmm. is a medal? You well, want you want something more than that to add to it. The uh, the first Premier League, you didn't get a medal, did you? You got a little miniature trophy. Yeah, we got the trophy. You're, Bruce, the, yeah. you're the only team that ever got that. Yeah, Brucey called that when he, when he picked these up. He, he turned he turned around and said, and I won't say it on camera, but he used a few words and said, "It's a darts trophy." <laughs> <laughs> That's what he called. It. But once we, then, when we walked into the dressing room, the box was there, and you put them in the box, yeah. and that made that made a difference. They looked fine, and you know, and I always say that to people about the fact that we're the only ones mm-hmm. who were given them. And it's, it's something different. For me, it's very much Manchester United. 
And blimey, you know, they were worth a lot of money at that time. God knows what they're worth now. Someone someone actually come and offer me some money for mine. It must have been, I'm going to say, what, 12, 12, 15 years ago, someone come and offer me money. And I kind of went, oh, blimey, yeah. And I said, what are you, what are you going to do if it goes, oh, I'm going to pull it in my private museum I've got I've got in my house. And I went, off, yeah. He offered me nine grand. And I went, thought about it. Went, oh. He goes, he goes, oh, I'm trying to get Eric's as well. And I kind of went, oh, blimey. How much do you offer Eric? He, oh, 25. <laughs> <laughs> I need to just say that I've got Alex. We swapped. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually got Alex, yeah, you know. Yeah. And you know when you you know when you think yourself, I thought myself, cool, nine. And he went Eric's and I went, Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. And that's and that's another thing as well, is that people I'm all, assuming you didn't sell it. No, of course no, not. Yeah. Not in a million it's not it's not my decision to sell that, not mm. at all. I'd, I'd be I'd be living I'd have everything with me and I'd be in a cardboard box. Um <laughs> But um everyone always talks about Eric. And oh, what's, what was Eric like? And the thing about a fan of him, everyone seems to want me to come back and say he was flash, he was arrogant, he was this, he was that. And he wasn't. Everyone got on great with Eric. Oh, but he must have been. Because I think people are trying to relate to what it's, what it's like today. Eric made a massive point of being one of us. Yes, he was different in certain ways. And when his eyes went, you thought, I'll leave you alone, Eric. But he was, he was with us. He was with us socially. And he would join him with a socially. Okay, he weren't ever going to drink a Boddington's or a lager top or tenants or anything. He'd, he'd want champagne. But Eric was always, you know, as a as a man, he was a fantastic person and even better footballer. And then um, not long after, uh, another superstar joined the dressing room, a young David May. <laughs> what were your first impressions of him? He was quiet. That's the easiest thing to say about Maisie. That's what everybody says. Yeah, it's so weird. It's very jarring to hear that he was quiet. It was funny. He was was really, really quiet, Maisie, coming in. And be honest. Probably because you told him off for trying to trash your dressing room. (laughs) (laughs) He was was so, so quiet. He came in and, be honest, you didn't know he was there, to be perfectly honest. There you go. He, he took and once but saying that once he got into it he was I think it was a Christmas party wasn't it? yeah it was yeah that changed everything and then he went absolutely bonkers but I think people loved him more for that as well to be perfectly honest absolutely just completely changed character and he, the worst kind of person you would think but he's just one of those people that everyone latched onto. Every, I mean there, there isn't anybody I think who doesn't know David May or know of him at least we just we just shy do you know what? It's, it's supposed to be pretty similar to what Park said there. Walking into that dressing room, United had just won the double. Every, every single player was an international. And I just thought, wow, am I out of my depth there? I just thought, this is incredible. I was, I was in awe of everybody. I looked around that dressing room, starting up, even, you know, Schmikes, Parks, Dennis, Brucey, Pally, Robbo had just left, Eric. And I'm thinking Keeney in there. And I'm thinking, wow, there's some characters in there. And I just thought, I am so much out of my depth. So I just sat back and watched. Did, you think, was, did you think of that he was out of his depth? No, I don't think anybody who, who the boss brought in at that given time, you, you wasn't because of the fact that um, he had brought you in. But once he brought you in, it was up to you. Mm-hmm. And there's been some 
good players who have gone through in so over the years, you could name a load, Sam. Maisie could um, name quite a few as well, mm. who you suddenly go, yeah, wow. And then all of a sudden, it just hasn't happened for them. Mm. And that's not because they weren't good players. They struggled with, with what's the pressure on being here. Yeah. And I mean, for me, coming 220 miles north, which caused a bit of a storm, no one could believe that I'd actually done that, moved out of London. And all of a sudden, just the way everyone was when I come out here, I step out of the Midland Hotel. I'd stayed in there overnight. I well, end up living there for six months. Um, a woman, the first thing, I come out of the hotel on a Sunday. As I step out, a woman says, "Good morning." And I'm a Londoner. I'm like, people don't say good morning. You walk past somebody and you're you're kind of going, "Hold on a minute, you're not sure of them." That's not, what's going on. And I kind of went, "Oh," and I suddenly thought to myself, "Hold a minute." I mean, so I kind of went, oh, really, really, really sorry that I'm just not, I'm not used to that. Well, I know you're not, Paul, you're a southerner. That's what she said to me. You don't, you, you don't do things like that down south, do you? I went, you're right, we don't. And I went, oh, good morning. She went, good. And that, and that was it. That was my welcome to Manchester. So it was a different, different way of life. And then you feel the expectations when you're here, but you get it more when you start talking to people because people talk to you. And without maybe them realising it, they're, put, they're putting pressure on because the expectations and what they believe, what everything about the club says that you win. Mm-hmm. You win. And the one thing you learn as well is that there's, there's games that you play for this club. And if those games don't go the right way, you don't get out of them what every, everyone wants from it. When I say that, the big, the Leeds, the, the City, the Liverpool, Champions League game, you address yourself and how you conduct yourself on your social life after that game because it makes a big difference in how you do that because <laughs> a lot of disgruntled people out there because, mm. and, and you'll be judged on how, how you actually, you know, what you do after a game. How aware were you of the class of 92 and in particular Gary Neville? Obviously you mentioned him earlier. Mm. When you were playing, were people saying, there's a young lad here who's a right back who is maybe going to be a star? Gary was never put as a star. Never never in a million years was he put as a star. Gary was one of them. Never stopped talking. I would I would just <laughs> I would just come out and say every, when you talk about it, for me all those players, the boss would introduce them as the players who were going to take your place. Really? Said, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, 100 percent Oh, the boss would well, that's how it was. He was always oh, going to take your place. But the best player of all which was Scolzi. Scolzi stuck out like a sore thumb. Without a doubt, with his ability and what he had, Nicky Butt, because I think people started realising what Butt he was and you were scared of him. He was that tough <laughs> mentally and physically, wasn't scared of anybody, he was stand his ground with anybody. Bex was all, you know, you could see with Bex, Bex was everything I think people expected from someone down south in the way, the way he was. But they were just a, a good, I mean, there was all of them were just nice kids at that time. There wasn't anything underlining about them at all it was just that it was so respectful that they all supported the team and they was in awe of the first team that's the one thing I noticed when I turned up here all the young apprentices Nicky cleaned my boots he was just Nicky but he was just a lovely lovely lad I used to give him boots as well so he used to be wearing um He's used to boots I used to wear when I come here. He used to, he used to be always have a pair of them I used to get him initially to wear my ones in for me Size fours. Um, let me just cover that one by saying size seven. 
<laughs> size seven they were. So Butter used to wear them in for me and I'd give them a pair of boots as well, give them some of my kit and that as well. So they was all really, really nice kids and I think everything says that about them anyway. You can see that, the way they all, all what they become, how they all conducted themselves when they played and when they played, not one of them really let this club down. Mm. You know, you must say that all about all of them. How, what was your reaction when Sir Alex is standing there saying he's going to take your place? You struck your shoulders because you don't believe it's going to happen. You just get on with it. That's the way it was. It wasn't a panic or oh, I've got to be wary of him. I mean, I, well, that, is that me? That's not me to do that. Is it other people? I don't think so. You don't believe it's going to happen because I just thought football is going to go on for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. And the one thing I did learn, and which I still always say, is that there's not many times that people take people's places just off the back of they're better than you. They'll get people generally get in off the back of someone else's misfortune. And then when they go in after that, they go and grab it and they put themselves in a position that they that it are, the manager has to ask ask himself a question, what is he going to do next? And Gary did, Neville done that. So and, that happened because you were injured, weren't you? I was injured, yeah. And the boss asked himself a question, come up with the answer that I didn't like. And he told me the truth. And at the time, it was hard to accept, really hard. Then after a while, you, you walk away, you look at everything and you realise that he's right. He was right what he'd done because he was putting the club first. And he just said to me, he said to me, um, Gary's come in. He's done really, really well. And if I pull him away now, just to bring you back, to give you your chance to start again, um, it might affect Gary's confidence because you'll be asking him, he might come and ask me a question. And just by Gary as a person, I'm not sure how Gary would be about that. So he looked at the long game. And the long game was, the long game is Manchester United Football Club winning as many games as possible and getting getting the right players on the pitch. So he made a great decision. If you'd asked me that when I was 33, 34 years of age, you might have got a different answer. But I look at it as um, as I played and people say to me, but you should have stopped. What what was your injury? What happened? Ankle. I I tore an ankle ligament. Um, I got hit late. Um, by Kevin Gallagher here, um, Blackburn Rovers. He hit me late, 93-94 season. Just to thought it was was just last, a, That was the last game of the season, though, was it? No. N- last game would have been the FA Cup final, presumably. Um, so it was in it 93-94. I went in, I went in, it was 93, it was a league, I'm trying to think when it was. He hit me was late. It 1-1? I think it was, yeah. And she scored late, hadn't you? Yeah. You'd done us out of, because we'd be bad to mm. do that game. It's not about you, Maisie. No, no, I'm just saying we right, better do that game. Black right. Yeah, I told Kev to do actually. <laughs> so what so it was... Big man at the back. So I felt it. And all I kept doing, I just strappings, mm-hmm. as normally just to get through it. And then it was um, anti-inflammatories. Because I wanted to play. Didn't want to miss out. Hated missing out. Was, had FOMO. Just didn't want to be around it. Nothing worse than sitting in the stands. And... And I should have stopped, but then you thought to yourself, you stop, you might lose your place. The boss might see you as maybe not having an, having enough heart. You haven't really, you, you can't, you're not playing through it because that was a big thing in that time. And that's how it happened. People say, oh, don't you regret that? I go, not in a million years did I regret that because cause, cause I, made, I made my own decision. I didn't let anyone tell me. I'd done what I'd done. And to be honest, at that given time, the way football was squad-wise, I couldn't do it. You know, we had the we had the games in Europe as well. That was needed because of the, the foreigner ruling. So I looked at all that and I thought I had to play the 
and give the best I can. Today's players have an operation and they're not and they, they don't miss anything, to be perfectly honest. I think there's a few, still a few players out there who think that way, but I don't think the establishment would allow them to go and play through it because there's too many, there's too many things for the man hoops for the manager to jump through to actually to, to be able to get that. He'll he'd have to work directly with a player and the player would have to go and really shout and scream his own way to to get over the line to playing games. So what was the result of your ankle because you didn't get it maybe dealt with quickly? I would I would say, and this is you know me guessing, is that if I'd have dealt with quick quickly, and he might not need an operation, he might have just needed just resting, mm-hmm. which not many of us at that time would do that. Um, but I had the operation and... I think it was more about me, the way I conducted myself after the operation. I think I should have maybe been a little bit better how I went about it, how I looked, how I dealt with my recovery. And I thought I thought it was going to happen rather than helping it happen. And, and then mentally, was I right when, I'm, when I did come back? Did I really feel brave enough with it? Did I feel we could do what it, the way it was? Because my game was twisting, turning, jumping, landing. It was my landing foot. That wasn't that wasn't there for me. I was always worried about turning. So where I'd be really close to people, trying to get close to win the ball, and then knowing that if I couldn't do that, if it spun behind, I could still match them. That was gone. So I was giving people yards to turn and then run at me. Mm-hmm. And that changed. And I think then the boss saw that and he would have known then that there was something not right. So he made he made a big decision about me and and, and and he was right. He was proved right. I know that a year or two later, after I st- once I stopped playing, I knew I made the wrong decision to stop playing. After I stopped, I should have I should have gone on. And I should have carried on. I should have kept going. But it was just my own. That what I said at the top of all this is that I had in my head I couldn't do myself justice when I played. So if I weren't going to do myself justice, how can I go and play for a team and then expect to do them justice? Mm. And that's why I didn't play. It must have been tough. Um, for me, it was, it's there, it's, what, it's what, what I'm about really, what I always say. So it wasn't tough, it was easy. I'd, in a way as well, I'd fallen a little bit out of love. I'd lost, lost that drive mm-hmm. to go and play because maybe, because I was missing this place, missing around, I missed the lads here. Because I come up a lot of times, didn't I, after yeah, yeah. I got quickly involved with MUTV when it started. So I was in the round, I saw everyone socially, it was great. So that kind of got, got me over the line just doing that. Because in a way, and it's a fact, it's football is an institution. You can't just, I try to walk away, try to do something else and not be involved in football after 12 months. I couldn't do it. I had to, had to be around it. And that's how I got in to be an assistant manager at Chelmsford City, their manager. And um, and then I got involved being here with MUTV and I, and I loved it. Just been out to talk football, being at Old Trafford, seeing everyone around, still getting that buzz. And then the best bit of it all come was when I didn't miss being out there and I realised that I've got over that line. The changing room bit is the one that, that I'll always miss. I miss that bit. Miss him like Maisie every day. Miss just the lads and just the gossip. And I think they're the bits that I think if you speak to players, some will come back and say, I miss the plane. Then all of a sudden, then you feel your knees. I feel my hip because i got a brand new hip. And I say to myself, nah, the playing bit of it doesn't, not interested. I would rather just turn up like the charity games are about now. I wouldn't play in one now because my ego would mostly maybe force me to maybe have another hip replacement or something like that. <laughs> but just someone says to me, I'll tell you what, I'll just come along. 
and watch a game and just go and sit in there and just join in everything before and after. That's my idea of football now. And that kind of keeps everything right then. Is that the same, was that the same for you when you stopped? It's the changing room that was hardest. Yeah. Yeah. I said it when I did my podcast. I just went on a 12-day bender just to try and get over it. And I couldn't mm. get over it. I found it so difficult because one minute you're in a dressing room and you're waking up every every day, going to that dressing room, having a laugh with the lads, taking the mick out of each other. And then it just stops. And that's it. It stops. And you're like, right, what do I do now? Obviously, Park's filled his time. Then coming up to coming up to United and, and doing the MUTV. I found it so difficult. I did. And, you know, I'm not ashamed to say, but I just turned to drink for that, that 12 days. And I'd only just had, my daughter had only just been born. I was so selfish and stuff like that. But that was my way of, of dealing with it. And um, after that, I started to then come to terms with, you know, not playing football. And it's, it's tough. What were your final days at United like? Um, tough. Tough because I knew what was coming. I knew what was coming. And then when it did come, it was even tougher than you start back. I mean, fortunately enough, I was 220 miles away. I was in London. So I had my house up here, but I just didn't want to be up here. I had so many, so many times I had an option. I thought myself, I'm gonna, I could come up here and still do something and still being around the club, but I could still do something. But I didn't want to be living up here and not being a Manchester United player. I found that's the bit I, I, you know, I didn't want to be doing. I needed to get away and just needed a complete change. Was it your decision to leave the club or was it Sir Alex's? Oh, it was the boss's. The boss kind of said, um, he, ne- he needed my my wages to bring another player in. And people go, oh, well. But it's a fact. Mm-hmm. I say it was. It was that tight for him to, 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 to do what he wanted to do. And he needed my wages. In today's world, if it was around, oh, we can keep you in the squad and we can give you another drip. You can be around. I can't guarantee you a place and, and you know, all that. And the player mostly go, oh, that will do. Mm-hmm. But even if the boss had said that to me, the fact of another season sitting around and just being there, and that wouldn't have done me any good because I know that I wouldn't have been maybe a nice person. I wouldn't have been, I would just wouldn't have been right. It just wasn't me because I've always been. If I wasn't injured, I always played. It's as simple as that. And I, you know, and I was justified when I played. I wasn't there as a makeshift or any. And just to be sitting around, just in the fact of a little bit of sentiment, and it, and that's one of the things that <clears throat> the boss has, has said said to said. I don't know if he said it collectively, and he talked about sentiment, and he said all sentiment would do for him would get him the sack if he thought along those lines about sentiment, and. I believe in that. You know, if someone ain't right, you have the hardest thing. That's one of the reasons why I didn't enjoy being a manager was having to go and tell a player that I'm letting them go. Even though it was a short thing, it wasn't like players have been with you a long time as they're not really in long non-league football. It's having to go and tell them and then you kind of sit and expect them to go, oh, it's not a problem, it's all right. You've just thrown saying negative at someone. You're virtually saying you're not good enough for my team. And then you expect them to smile and they shake your hand and be okay. Not in a million years. Because if, they, if they're that way, then they're really not the right person if they're willing to accept that you're saying they're not good enough, they're average. It sounds like when you talk about that conversation with Sir Alex, he, he almost made it easy for you. You didn't like, like other people I can imagine would have had situations where they were told they were going and they wouldn't have wanted to. And it would have been maybe uh, more of an argument. 
Mm. or would have come away feeling a bit bitter towards the man who's ended their career. But it sounds like you've got a lot of understanding about it. Yeah, but I think I've got that understanding as <clears throat> as years have gone on. Okay. So maybe Straight not- away, it was like the toughest, and you kind of, and you feel it. Regardless, even though I, I knew the truth, because I, was, I, was, I knew in myself that I wasn't right, but then you look what was in front of me at that given time, but went on for so many years after. There's no argument. It was the right decision. Um, and from that moment after, every time I've seen the boss, it's been fine. I'm just pleased that I didn't go and do anything silly. I weren't reactive. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here. Yeah. Simple, <laughs> simple as that. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's quite a sombre moment we're talking about there. But two of your career highlights, I would imagine, don't want to talk for you, is winning the FA Cup. And yeah. Italian 90. Mm-hmm. What was winning the FA Cup like? Well, the FA Cup was made even better because of the fact of it was chasing a domestic double. Mm-hmm. You know, United's first ever double. So that added to it a little bit. But the FA Cup is what is what I grew up with. It's the only thing you saw on telly as such. Everyone looked forward to that one game. And the main bit of that one game, yes, we all loved the game because the actual 90 minutes or the, if there's extra time, but it's actual, it was all the bit, bits before, which I don't think anyone of today really understands because then we didn't know the people who were taking part a lot. We didn't know anything about them unless they were kind of then the kind of superstars of British football. But there was a lot of people you never knew. So you had your newspapers, you get, you'd always have to go and buy a newspaper to take out the centre page to look. So there's all little stories about the about the players, all little bits about them, and all of a sudden you might have a player at home with a family washing the dishes. All those silly little pictures they used to take, and then you have the then you have the the footage of them cameras at, at, in people houses follow, following a player till he goes and meets you know from the hotel onto the coach to cameras on the coach. All that kind of stuff was just the build up was absolutely amazing. So everyone was indoors. The streets were so quiet. Honestly, the quietest it's ever been was that first maybe three or four months when we was locked down. Honestly, that's just, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was that quiet. Or maybe then Christmas Christmas Day of many moons ago when there were no hardly any shops open. It was so quiet. Everyone was just there. And all of a sudden it come to half time and then you could sometimes go out and you'd hear kids. We'd be kids out there having a little bit, 10, 15 minutes outside, just getting ready for when the game finishes, when we suddenly become all the players of the team who won because we just followed any, anybody who won it we would just follow them we'd go that way it was was there any player you looked up to Parks that is your like your hero I looked up to everybody before you say it <laughs> <laughs> um, not really no. no not at that given time really I wasn't I didn't really support a team as such really I think my first first thing I can remember is having those little remember the old the socks with, I'm um, sorry, the tights with the numbers on the side. Mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a set of them. I had a set of them in blue yeah. with, num- with number three on them, if I remember rightly. Right. Just just them. I don't know why that was. I didn't really support a team, but no, no one really. As I got older, when I got older, the player I loved more than anybody was Kenny Sanson. Yeah. And I was watching him play when he was a young lad at Crystal Palace and everything. And I ended up playing with him at Queen's Park Rangers. So... But then once that game had finished, it was just in the garden with me two brothers. It's always me against those two, and that would end up that would end up in a fight. <laughs> yeah. Then my mum would come out and win the fight. This is after the FA Cup. Final. After the FA Cup, yeah. we'd end up fighting. Nice. Yeah. I um, 
I would never make it past half time. So I'd do exactly the same as you. I'd be sat there with a load of newspapers. I'd watch all the coverage. It'd get to half time. If United weren't playing, mm. then I, I just wasn't into it. So I would drag mm. my little brother out and we'd go and play football ourselves. Yeah, but it wasn't that way because football was so generic then. I mean, even t- we'd watch every game and we would, even in Europe, and I'd, you would cheer on an English side, a British side in yeah. Europe. Yeah, that's how football was then. But obviously, that's changed a lot now, isn't it? <laughs> I must say. But <laughs> Got to mention the. Uh, Status quo as well. Come on, your ads. Do you know what? I was in the loft the other day and I actually, I found a disc. Yeah? I found a disc of it in the loft the other day and I, and I brought it down. I brought it down out of the loft and I just put it down just, un, just underneath it, just leaning against the wall and I, I put down, what am I going to do with that? And when I got, I got back and it had gone and I kind of thought, where's that gone? I said to me, miss, I said, where's that gone? She had shoved it in the airing cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> so that tells me that's not really going to go anywhere. No, but no. saying that though, I've got I've got nothing. Oh, that was brilliant, though, wasn't it? It was. Well, that's, good. That was. But that, that was part of the FA Cup. That was. Up, yeah. That go was, get your suits fitted and go and yeah, do um, a song and so much like. But it's, one, it's a dying breed that song because yeah. all the rest, a lot of them after have been absolute yeah. rubbish. But that one was just so, and that caught everybody. As much as people say we hate Man United, we hate this. People still love status quo, yeah. and that song had something. But it weren't your your typical kind of choir boy song. Was it as such? Uh, who, who sat all that, all, all that up? Was it in the club or did they come to you? I think I think they approached. I think right, they approached, approached us. Away. It was just one of those moments. I mean, even at one at one point, I even remember here. I, I found a picture the other day. It's the scruffiest picture ever. I was wearing this horrendous Asics tracksuit in purple, greens, all the colours in the world. Yeah, a bit like that, but worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was taken. It was taken just down there. And it was with um, the boy band, the young... Um, take that. Take that. I've seen the picture. Yeah, you've seen that yeah. picture. It was the worst set-up picture in the world, wasn't it? It was horrendous. Yeah. Yeah. There's some of the things that happened if, if, if yeah. Manchester United at that time. Some of the things that you take for... I've got that picture the other day. I found another picture I found. Team picture. Nelson Mandela in a team picture. Well, you, went, you wasn't there, mate. No, 93, you went, went to yeah, South Africa. Fine. We had Nelson Mandela in the picture. And all those things. It's just incredible, absolutely incredible. That is it. Look Jesus, at that. Jesus, look at Parks' gear there. Yeah, look at that. Wow. Look at that tracksuit. I'd wear that. Do you ever look at some of the dress? Even Mickey. Mickey Feeling. Mickey Feeling. Look, he looks like an out-of-work builder. <laughs> is that? <laughs> is that Dennis in the bottom right? Dennis yes, the bottom Dennis, right. yeah. It's like he works yeah. on a cruise. <laughs> he does, he does. Keeney. Yeah. Yeah, some gear I think there, just, Yeah, I just think it's one of those, we all just been to the cliff training and we got told we got to go back and have a picture done. So you can imagine then, we turn up for training, it mm-hmm. was just... Just your clothes, yeah. Just, just, yeah, just, just yeah. put anything on, you know. So we got a little bit caught out by that one. Parks, I must ask you about Italian, uh, Italian 90 as well. Obviously, I know you got through, well, England got through, we got through to the semis. To, to lose the way we did, how bad was that? Obviously, I mean, it's got to be the... Would that be the hi- biggest highlight of your career, um, football-wise? T- to actually to, to be to, t- to take away, you know, the, the loss and all that, but to play 
yeah. in a World Cup. Yeah, to go and do that, something like that, to think of sitting and watching it. The first World Cup I can remember is 1974. That was in West Germany yeah. and it was never stopped raining. Right. Never stopped raining. I can still remember when... Um, how, old, how old would you have been then? 74, 10. 10. Yeah, I can remember Brazil v Zaire and the player yeah. ran out once and kicked the ball away <laughs> and he <laughs> pushed him back <laughs> and, then, and, he ran, and he ran out and done it again. It was one of those moments. But um, So I can, I can remember that in the World Cup, but the height, I mean, my biggest highlight football-wise yeah. and everything goes with it so that first Premier League, Premier League that night against Blackburn Rovers yeah. here was a fantastic evening but for that as everything to, to think about walking out in the, in the semi-final mm -hmm. and then walking not only just walking out in the semi-final but walking out for against a team and a country which I, res, which I respect mm -hmm. a football country yeah. just the way it's incredible because everything they've done when you talk about international football from when I was growing up it was always West Germany yeah. they're always the one you'd see them one nil down two seconds to go and it seems like someone stopped the clock and they go and score an equaliser or a winner like that was us. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's just like the German yeah. way of play. that's the way yeah. it works and I had so much respect for them still have because you still just always believe it. there's mm -hmm. always something about them there's something in built them mm. it's maybe why I always drive German cars I don't know but um mm -hmm. I walked out in that one. It was just to be there was something. People asked me, you must have been nervous. I wasn't. I was more nervous games I played here, mm -hmm. a lot more. than I played. Not in that game because I still one of them, what the hell am I doing here? I just had cortisone injections either side of my groin a week before we left the country because I was struggling with a hernia. So I didn't expect to play. I just thought I'd be warming yeah. up. Ended up playing six out of seven games without me realising at that time. I, my, gro my groin muscles were cream crackers. Yeah. They, were, they was just living on juice, on the juice of the fact of <laughs> what had been pumped in there, really couldn't feel anything. Played in the game. Then that, fr then that happens, the ball hits me. They gave the ball, they gave the goal to Bremer. In theory, they shouldn't have given it to Bremer. They should have given it to me. I'd have been happy then. I'd have been written up for years and years. Because it's all a... This guy's got the winner in the yeah, yes. World Cup semi-final. Yes, oh, it'd have been Paul great. Parker. I look Absolutely. at it now, PR-wise, it'd have been fantastic to get a mention every every year or so. Yeah. But now I get a mention every two years at tournaments. I get seen on TV. People, you go out everywhere. Some people want to be a little bit nasty. Yeah. Got an yeah. assist though, 10 minutes later, right? I did, yeah. And, uh, do you want me to really build it up or should I yeah. just leave yeah, go it? On, go on, go on. Assist in a World Cup semi-final. Well, I'm going to turn around and say that I had to really force it off. Force it off. Mark Wright didn't want to give it to me. I had to demand it off of him. I got the ball and I looked up and I saw, I saw Gary Lineker, the, you know, the greatest goal scorer of um, this era of English football. He could score from everywhere. Inside the box, of course. And I picked him out among this kind of clutch of German, West German players. I knew that one of them, the one with a dodgy moustache, was going to miss the ball by fractions with his big toe. And Gary would always miscontrol it with his right, with his right thigh and he'd get to his left foot and he would miskick it across the front of the German goalkeeper. <laughs> All off the back of my pinpoint pass into the box, but in real in the real world, I played a percentage ball into the box, not anticipating that the German was going to miss it, and for Gary to miscontrol it onto his left foot and pull it into the back of the net. <laughs> one one, I'm safe. No one's going to be slagging me off for England being knocked out of the World Cup. It's all about me. Yeah. Where, where would you have been on the penalties? I was going to be behind Peter Shelton. <laughs> 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 I would have thought he'd be good at penalties. No, Maisie. No, help me, help me no out here. No chance. 
But you're so, you're, you seem so calm. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not on a pitch for 90 minutes, right. am I? okay. Yeah, fair enough. No, it, that wouldn't have been me. I couldn't, I couldn't, I really couldn't. I mean, I made it obvious, by the way, that when everyone sat down, everyone's around, I'd taken my boots off. <laughs> <laughs> my boots are off. <laughs> boss, boss. No. <laughs> That's amazing. No, boots are off. Isn't, I couldn't have done it. Honestly, I would have crumbled. I would have crumbled. That walk, honestly, I would have been looking, Some, I would have been looking for a trough. We'd have been looking through the trough as well, though. <laughs> Do you find, uh, like I said, like England um, and Italy, obviously not that long ago, was penalties, United and uh, United, Villarreal. Yeah. Both of those go to penalties. One of them, obviously, 11 penalties. Do you find watching shootouts stressful? No, not really. Just get on with it. I just, I don't, I don't find I don't it stressful. If I, did, I, I meant like, do you feel like a sense of empathy when you watch a player take that walk that you've said you would crumble? I would do it. I find, I, I think anybody who just takes a penalty is the bravest, one of the bravest people I know. When, when players miss penalties, I hate people who slag off people who miss penalties because yeah. they, they don't get it. They really don't understand it. doesn't matter. It can be, it can be here or it could be at Carlisle United. It's massive. doesn't matter to them, it's massive. It could, it could be here, it could be there. And you cannot knock anybody who wants to take a penalty. No. And if they miss it, don't ever knock them for it. And because they think, people think it's easy, oh, you should be scoring that because of how much you're on. Well, maybe those people should be doing their job better for what they're on as well and do it mm. every single day consistently well as well for what they're on. Because football's no different. You're human. And sometimes you have a bad moment. Parks, I must touch you then, the, the, the manager of that team then, Sir Bobby. I, would, I, I know I'm going a little yeah. bit tangent here, but two managers you played for, Sir Bobby and Sir Alex, best two? Yeah, boss first, then Bobby, and then the third best man, Jim Smith. Yeah. I love Jim Smith. He was a bit, um, I called him the Warren Clark of football. Jim Smith. Yeah, yeah, DL. What well, was well, well, addressing him like after the semi-final loss? Well, the first one, Bobby Robson would be somebody I would wish I'd have played for him as a, when he was manager. Yeah. I just loved the way the way he was. People tell me that was in his latter years. I said, that would do for me. Mm -hmm. He said he was incredible when he was early years at um, Ipswich. But um, the dressing room after was, I was fine to a point, I would say, because I couldn't believe, you know, because well, yeah, I spent, Bobby Robson was so loyal. Mm -hmm. As you can remember, people wanted him to change this, to change that. And he, st he was so loyal to his players up until really the final when he made his World Cup finals where he made his changes. Gary Stevens had been his right back since 1985. And all of a sudden, I, he jumped, they play that first game, brings him in against Holland. And I think, right, done my bits, nil-nil. It's going to go back to a flat back four. Still plays me. I mean, Gary must have been devastated. Yeah. He must have been devastated because that World Cup in Italy was a proper World Cup because you're in a proper football country, everything about it. So it must have hurt him, but, you know, but um, Piercy was was down, seriously down. Everyone left Piercy alone because he was low Piercy and you didn't really want to kind of, what they call, poke the bear. It was a bit scary what could come out. Chris Waddle was was really upset. Well, I mean, but I always say Chris shouldn't be upset because he got a great part in the pizza advert after. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he shouldn't be, he shouldn't be that angry. He mostly got, you know, pizza's free for a year. It'd have been a help at Gaza, eat something as well. It'd have been all good. But 
everyone, I think when it boiled down to after, we had a drink after back at the hotel and everyone was in high spirits. But we, we got somewhere which no one expected us to get to. There was so many doubters out there. And it's England, you should expect doubters. Mm. But, you know, we, we had a lot of luck. We had so much luck. I mean, Cameroon, sheer naivety, maybe ignorance on their part. Otherwise, they could have been playing in the World Cup semi-final. But... um. It's something that I'll never forget, something that I can't forget because people always keep talking about. So I always thought that once England were to replicate that at least, that would go to bed. It hasn't gone to bed because people have put 2018 to bed. They don't talk about that. The only way it's ever going to be surpassed of England have got to win a World Cup, to be perfectly honest. And and I still think they've got to win a World Cup in the right way as well. That makes it, just people want to see a, England win a competitive World Cup where they can 100% say for that time they were the best team in the world. Paul, I think we've got to wrap up now. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us. No worries at all. great parts. No worries. And when you say wrap up, do you mean that you're going to hide that top you're wearing? Never. Right. Okay. You should do. Do you want to borrow it? Yeah. Only if I want to look like a tea bag. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers, Parks. No worries. Thank you, That was brilliant, mate. And that was Paul Parker. Very good, wasn't it? I said it'd be good. good. I said it'd be good. It was one of those strange ones where it actually took us a long time to get to his time at United. And then actually, to some extent, quite a long time to get to football. Yeah. And the fact that he actually... um, got into basketball pretty mm-hmm. quick and you won't really associate Parks with basketball because he's not the tallest guy no 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 and the fact that he had to have x-rays to see how tall he's going to become very rare never heard that before I, I, I wonder I, if you've stopped growing yet Sam <laughs> I wouldn't mind if I've, this is it this is probably tall enough no um, I always find things that really interesting when they make those type of calculations I remember when when you know, Ronaldo was first at United when he was at Sporting, mm. they did those kind of tests because they were worried that maybe he wouldn't reach the size that he now is, and he did. Yeah, it's just interesting, isn't it? They, yeah. they make those kind of because actually there are loads of short football players that have been incredibly gifted and have had great careers, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, Maradona, Messi, Messi. Yeah. yeah, two to name a few. Um, but yeah, um, what an upbringing as well. Do you know what? We've had some people on the podcast over the over the last what couple of years shot at, mm-hmm. being bombed stuff like that and then you get them being chased across airfields racial racial abusing them in some ways his is almost more shocking because and you know this is this is England yeah this is is speaking from a position of being white but we're in England and that's an it was almost every day if not every other day as opposed to one time or twice this happened to me Mm. just something that it's just awful yeah and he's moved. He's actually moved to get out of that scenario type of thing, to get try and make a better life. But you know, he's gone into a different life where he's getting chased across airfields. But as he said, it made him, or it it certainly yeah. helped him develop into the, the tough tackling right back centre half that he was. Yeah, I just I find it very very difficult to put yourself in that position of of so much hatred towards you just because because just because of your skin colour can't imagine it can you no it's no. just extraordinary all you can do is hope that you know we all learn and absolutely absolutely forward. Uh, but a two time Premier League winner yeah an FA Cup winner didn't do too badly did he no no um, and as he touched on that you know just because of his injury 
what would have happened if Kevin Gallagher hadn't done that tackle on him? You know, where would Gary Neville be? Mm-hmm. Would Parks have played another 200 games, 300 games for United? You just don't know. It's Fate's horrible at times, isn't it? You just don't know what, what's going to happen. And for Parks, you know, his, his career came to an end at United because of the engine, obviously because of the Gary Neville coming on the scene. I suppose you never think of it that way, but that's how football works, isn't it? One, if a, if a player's coming through, then someone else is missing out. But yeah. equally, if someone's yeah. missing out, someone's coming through. Well, similar to myself, you know, the manager brought me in for, to replace Brucey, but Brucey was, um, you know, the type of player that just wouldn't give up. But that's how, that's how things happen. The manager is forever evolving the team and making it stronger and making it better. And that's what, that's what he had to do. It was a great podcast, wasn't it? I've, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. And really he looked talker. absolutely immaculate as well. He did. He was very smart, very well dressed, like the pair of us. Uh, we've got a couple of emails. Got yep. one here from Lee Stokes who says, Maisie and Helen, only just started listening to the United podcast, brackets, sorry. Loving your work with Chadwick's broken arm story. Currently, that's my favourite. I love that some of these players know that they weren't good enough, but felt privileged to play for United and work alongside some massive legends. Keep them coming and thank you. I mean, there's three of us on the podcast, Lee. Yeah. I know I didn't do that one. It was good enough. It was It was a really good one. Yeah, it was a really good one. Um what do you think of that? The mindset of people thinking they weren't good enough to play here. They must have been, otherwise they wouldn't have played here. I don't know. It's just it's just a little bit of insecurity, probably. It's a bit of humility? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. I think it's very rare that you get somebody coming to Old Trafford who's so cocksure of himself that he's going to think, I'm going to walk this, because it just doesn't happen. It doesn't. When you walk through that tunnel, or you come out of that tunnel, I should say, that's when the pressure is, yeah, it does. Uh, another one this is uh, from Michael who says hi guys love the pod listen nightly to previous pods while working a 10pm to 6am night shift that's tough really enjoyed Albert's and loved Luke Chadwick's he had me in fits Federico Makeda's was inspiring to think what he had to do to make it as a 15 year old Andy Coles was brilliant keep them coming brilliant as always listening from the border county of Cavan in the Republic of Ireland uh, all the best regards from Michael McNamara PS met Maisie in in hotel football a few seasons back United versus Liverpool nil nil draw and he kindly obliged myself my brother-in-law Damien with a photo we get over at least once maybe twice a season and really enjoy it regardless of the result we're just back from the 1-1 draw with Southampton and have tonight be in Brighton 2-0 so fingers crossed for a good end to the season best wishes for future episodes of the pod thank you very much Michael if you want to get in touch with us the address is in the show notes it's unitedpodcast at mayunited.co.uk thank you very much for listening we hope you enjoyed Paul's story and we'll see you on the next one hopefully Helen will make it too fingers crossed fingers crossed